0: I think of just the madness that's out there in the world, the darkness that's out there, the challenges that we face. It's nice that we can come together and encourage each other. It's nice that we can build each other up. It's nice that we can look to Jesus because Jesus is the answer. And so many people need the answer out there. And so many people have been conditioned, programmed to look the other way, not to see anything of value. In Christ, But we are let in on the secret. It's because of the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit has touched your life with a revelation of the worth of Jesus Christ. And when you are drawn to Christ like that, it brings out worship in your life. The problem is, is that we have to deal with the flesh and the natural every day, and it's hard to always feel drawn to the Lord. But God has not left us to our own devices. God has not left us to this position. And so last week we talked about how the Holy Spirit works in the Christian life. In fact, if you are a believer in Jesus Christ, if you have said, Lord, I give my life to you, you be the Lord of my life, I want what you want, I want you to make me who you want me to be, if you have come to that place in your heart sincerely, then the Holy Spirit has done a work. The Holy Spirit has put you on a trajectory in which you can grow and you can become more enamored with Jesus. You can become more empowered by his spirit. You can become greater in victory in these times of challenge and defeat. And it's not you, but it's the Holy Spirit working in you. And last week I said that the Holy Spirit works in every believer in Jesus, but there is a place where we need more. We need more a baptism of the Holy Spirit. We need the infilling of the Holy Spirit. We continually need to be filled with the Holy Spirit. And then when it's the Holy Spirit working in our life, it's Him. It's Christ in me. It's not me. Suddenly the things that I struggled with and I thought were so difficult to accomplish or do, to to turn away from sin or to work in righteousness, it's no big deal when you have the power of God working in you, the Holy Spirit moving and motivating you and changing your heart on the issues of life, and that's what we have. It's so different from every other philosophy, religion out there. We have a God who indwells, a God who is involved, and a God who loves, and he's not put off by all our failures and shortcomings and even sins. He's paid for those. But do we be foolish and we walk in those things and just neglect growing in him? Well, that's, that's where you just open the door to the challenges, the assaults of the enemy, and the defeat. And we're not about defeat. As Christians, we should be about victory. And it's not that we have to obtain it. It's that it's already been obtained and that the Holy Spirit empowers us to walk in it. So that's what we talked about last week. If you didn't hear that, go back and listen online because I believe it can help you to get more of the Spirit, and we get more of Him by acknowledging that He is with us, acknowledging that there is more to receive from Him. And placing ourselves in position, being consistently uh, looking to Him for the help and knowing that we're not alone and we're and we're we're obeying what His Word says. But today, I want to give you fuel for that because the Holy Spirit doesn't just come upon you and just move you, and cha- he has to work with something. And what does he work with? But he works with the word, the word of God. Jesus said in John 6:63 6, that the spirit brings life, the flesh profits nothing, but my words are spirit and they are life. There is something holy about the Bible. That's why on the outside it says holy Bible. This is not a normal book. There is something very spiritual in this book, and yet many Christians, along with the rest of the world, fail to get anything spiritual out of it. They get maybe things religious, they get maybe things uh, law legal. What do I got to do? You know what's right and what's wrong. That's all that there might be that in there. But the power of the word is when the spirit has something to work with. You put the word in your heart like a seed in a garden. The spirit comes and waters it and There's the fruit coming forth in your life. So we want to talk about this today and how to get more from this Word because we all go through seasons where we don't read the Bible maybe or if we do read it, we're not getting much out of it. But there are some hints in today's passages that we can talk about that's going to help us to give the Holy Spirit something to work with. You need to put fuel in your vehicle to get it going. You need to put nutritional fuel in your body to keep it running. And your spirit needs the Word of God fuel so that the Holy Spirit can move and that Christ in you, the hope of glory, can be your story. So I want to start by looking at 1 Timothy 4, verse 13 to 15. And I'll read through that and then look at each. Till I come, give attention to reading, to exhortation, to doctrine, do not neglect the gift that is in you, which was given to you by prophecy with the laying on of the hands of the eldership. Meditate on these things, give yourselves entirely to them that your progress may be evident to all in verse 16. Take heed to yourself and to the doctrine, continue in them, for in doing this you will save both yourself and those who hear you. All right, this is the word that Paul was writing to Timothy, Timothy was a pastor, so there is some pastoral advice here, but this isn't just for pastors. This is for the body at large. Everything applies, even the the verse 14, which we'll look at. Verse 14 says, Do not neglect the gift that is in you, which was given to you by prophecy with the laying on of the hands of the eldership. Paul was talking to Timothy, saying, Remember that the elders laid hands on you, gave you a commission, It was a prophetic commission to put you in the leadership of the church, to make you a pastor, whatever it was. It was something that he was not to forget, that this was a gift that was bestowed. And so now, you might not have had elders lay hands on you and commission you to to, uh, be in the pastorate or in some kind of leadership position. But every one of us has received a gift. We have received the gift of the Holy Spirit if we believe in the word. We have received the gift of Christ in our lives. This is a big thing. It's not I'm following a Christian religion. I have the gift of Jesus Christ, the Lord of all glory, who died, rose again, he's coming back, and the word of God says that he dwells in all those who receive him, who believe in him, Christ in our hearts. That is a gift. You say, I don't have any gifts. You've got a gift. You've got Jesus Christ, Lord of all. And when Christ appears, you too will appear with him in glory. You have the gift of eternal life. Your sins have been forgiven. The sins that weigh people down, the guilt, the conscience, that oh, I can never measure up, I can never You have a gift of some sort. And maybe you have much more than that. But if nothing else, you have the gift. You have the gift of his word that you have received. And Paul's saying, don't neglect these things. Maybe somebody's encouraged you at some point in your life and saying, you have a talent for this. Even something just, you know, that's not necessarily a religious kind of thing, but, oh, boy, you're a good speaker, or you, or you, can, you can play baseball well or whatever. You can play pickleball like the pros. Uh, you know, think on these things. Think on the gifts. that got these, Every good and perfect gift comes from above. The Lord has blessed us with gifts. And and sometimes we don't focus on these things because there's so much negative to be. what we don't have. And that's where we get into the pit. That's where we get into the darkness. We focus on what we don't have, what's going wrong. Let's focus on the gift, what's going right. And Paul says uh, in verse 15, to meditate on these things, give yourselves entirely to them that your progress may be evident to all. Meditate on these things. What things? The gift that's in you, but he's intertwining that with verse 13 to reading, to exhortation, and to doctrine. All right. So why do we want to think on reading, exhortation, and doctrine, and our our personal involvement, the gift that has been given to us? He says so that your progress may be evident to all. If you are a believer in Christ, you need to be making progress. It is not a one-and-done thing. It is not, oh, I know who I believe, and that's it, and I'll, I'll go through and take care of business and whatever. I, yeah, I'm a Christian, uh-huh, yeah, amen, and that's good. You need to be in making progress. And what do I mean by that? Simply, I mean discipleship. It's what we've been talking about. You are on a, you're on a track, and God wants to do something with you. God wants to make you something. You're not made that in a one-and-done, oh, yeah, I believe in Christ kind of thing. You are just beginning when you say, yes, Lord. You are just beginning when you say, I believe. You are, you are put on a path, and now you are growing into something. And Paul says you want to make progress. And why would anyone not want to make progress? If you think it's so wonderful to know the Lord, that's just a little tiny smidgen, a little drop in the ocean of the love of God and what God can do in our lives and how he can use us if you want to grow in that, you are in a better place. You want to make progress. And then Paul says not just progress, but it would be evident to all. Evident to all. That means that something in you is different. Something in you is changed. Something in you is seen. We, we like to see fruit grow on our plants, right? We like to see fruit if we plant something. We like to see things that we believe for in prayer that we're asking God for. We like to see the evidence of things not seen. That's what faith is, right? So a life of faith, how is that any different? We want to see that something's making a difference in my life. And something is, is working in me that's, that's being seen. If, if people you work with, if people you interact with don't know that you're a Christian, You might still be a Christian, you might still be saved, but they're not seeing it. Paul is instructing Timothy here, it needs to be seen. Jesus said, go and make disciples. What is a disciple? A disciple is one who becomes like his master. And again, you say, well, it's too difficult, how can I do that? Well, again, it's not you, it's Christ in you that does it. But we have something to do with it. We have to place ourselves in position, we have to... Meditate on these things and give ourselves entirely to them. You know, people give themselves entirely to different things their careers, or to a certain relationship, or to a hobby. Or, you know, people throw themselves in to things that are important. And what could be more important than growing in the Lord? And that's where we have to say, I'm all in. I'm all in. Not a lot of people shouting and saying, Yeah. Let's go. Come on. Well, you know, I know a lot of people are just quiet, but you get excited on the inside. But sometimes, if you're not excited, what are you going to do? You got to wake yourself up. Like Randy said, I didn't care about getting up out of bed this morning. You know, I have to start slapping myself, say, Come on, come on, buddy, let's go. And then I kind of get going. This is the last thing I feel like doing. And I get going, and then I start clean up and stuff and then suddenly I'm, I'm up and I'm at him and, and there's life. Well, it's the same spiritually speaking. You know, you might not have an excitement for the Lord. You, it, it's difficult in this world. You, we're, we're guided by so much in the natural. The flesh is against us and things. But you got to wake yourself up. Give yourself entirely to these things. It's like, this is important. This is where the life is. This is what can bring me over into that place that God wants me and that's above and beyond what the world has to offer. Remember, we are on a track that is glorious. The world is on a track that is going down. And whatever joy, happiness, gloriousness the world has, it's all counterfeit. It's not lasting. It's easier, but it's not eternal. And we want something eternal. The good news is is that it's coming, but it also can be had now when we do wake ourselves up. We can be moving in these things. So Paul is saying give attention to reading, to exhortation, and to doctrine. All right, why? Why? Why should we give attention to reading? Romans 8:6 says, to be carnally minded is death, to be spiritually minded is life and peace. You know, carnally minded doesn't mean that you're just sinfully minded, you're thinking about sinful things. Carnally just means naturally my flesh It means fleshly-minded. So, you know, you you don't have to be thinking sinful things to be walking in death. It doesn't mean you're going to die, but it means that you're under the influence of things that are not edifying, things that are not building your spirit up, strengthening you. You know, if you're watching raunchy television shows all the time, that's being carnally minded. It's it's death. You're going to have a more difficult time fighting temptations. If you're, if, if you're lonely and you're reading books about romance and things like that, you know that might not be a sin depending on the book, but it's, it's going to make your mind think about your loneliness. It's, it's not thinking about things that bring life and peace. If you have the news on 24-7 and you're constantly paying attention to the news, doom and gloom, anger and frustration, that's, that's being carnally minded. And, you know, we all at some point have to deal with these different things. But as a, as a, a norm, as a general uh, mindset, we should be spiritually minded. Why? Because life and peace comes from that. Instead of focusing on the doom and gloom and, and things that uh, make it easier to fall into sin, the bad influences out there, you know, there's a lot of things that sometimes my kids say, oh, you're too picky about movies and stuff like that. I am picky about what I watch because I don't want to fill my mind with death, and it makes me stronger when I don't expose myself to that stuff because then I don't have a problem. It's not in my head. I'm not thinking about it, and, and it's it's not an issue. But the it's like the food we eat, the diet that we pour into ourselves is going to affect us at some point. I'd rather have life and peace than to have struggles and gloom and 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 complaints and and all that. And that comes from giving attention to reading the word, filling my mind with the word. I can start to worry about a situation or I can go to the word and say, see, look at verses that talk about God how he's going to meet me and take care of all my needs. That will bring life and peace. Also Proverbs 4:20 20 to 22 says, "My son, give attention to my words, incline your ear to my sayings." It's give attention. There it is. Same thing Paul was saying. Give attention. It's like perk up. It's perk up. Listen. Do not let them depart from your eyes. And what does that mean? Does it mean that I'm going to be reading the Bible and going to town like this all the time? And Do not let it depart from my eyes. No. But what does it mean? It means, I believe, that means that you are... Filtering everything you see through the lens of Scripture. You see things and it appears one way, but Scripture says it's another way. It appears that the sin will go on and on and on and that there's never going to be any judgment. The Scripture says that everything is going to come to account and that it's going going to account good for those who know the Lord, who have put their trust in Him. We filter what we see through what Scripture has told us. Do not let it depart from your eyes. And then it says, keep them in the midst of your heart. And that's the same thing as saying, give yourself entirely to them. What's in your heart? What are you keeping in your heart? And then he concludes, for they are life to those who find them and health to all their flesh. You keep harping on the word. Read the word. Read the word. Why, why, why? Because it's life to all who find them and health to all their flesh. Contrary to what the world would make you picture the church, the church is a life organization. And everyone should be here today because they are interested in life. You don't come because it's something I got to do. You don't come because, well, I got to put in my my time punch for God. No, we ought to be wanting life. The problem is most of the world satisfies for less than life. They're deceived. And we all have been there. I was there for many years before I became a believer. I thought life was in this, this, and this, and this. We don't have to go into it. And it seems like that's where the life is. But it's a deception. That's not where eternal life is. And that's not where the deeper life is. The well springing up from within. Even when I was involved in all those things that please the flesh, there's emptiness on the inside. There's a hollowness on the inside. Now my flesh may not be as pleased as in some of those past situations but it's not hollow. I'm filled. There's a fountain flowing, and, that, and that's getting more and more as I grow in Christ. It's becoming more and more the life that is eternal life that Jesus promised. It starts now, not just when we die. The church is a life organization, and this book is a life book. We read this. Why do we want to give attention to reading? It's because we are after life. And we've got enemies out there, spiritual enemies that want to distract us and take us off our course, take us off our game. But that's when we have to, again, say, I'm giving myself entirely. I wake myself up in the morning. I'm going to wake myself up. I'm going to get into the word. I want life. Then he says, give yourself to exhortation. We all have to give ourselves to exhortation. Hebrews 10.25 says, do not forsake the assembling of ourselves together as in the manner of some, but exhorting one another... And so much more as you see the day approaching. Do you see a day approaching? You know what that signifies to me? It signifies progress. Again, we are making progress. History is making progress towards a day. And you and I are on that track. Are we making progress as disciples of Christ? And are we in the manner of getting together and exhorting one another? Why do you come to church? You must come to church, they say. Well, the reason is right there. Don't forsake the assembling of ourselves together, as some do, but exhorting one another. You come to church to exhort one another. doesn't say come to church so the pastor can exhort you. I'm just one of the one another's. You guys are one another's. Did you ever think about when you come to church, who am I going to exhort today? What's exhort mean? Exhort means to encourage comfort you know what well, actually that greek word for exhorting is paraklēsis anyone think that sound familiar if you were paying attention last week the holy spirit the helper is called the paraclete parakletos this word exhorting is paraklēsis same same greek derivative the point is is that you have you have the same Opportunity to do what the Holy Spirit does. In fact, it's the Holy Spirit working in you that you can encourage, you can help, you can comfort, you can console, you can be an advocate. It's because you've got the word of life and the spirit, the Paracletos, in you, you can exhort, which is paraklesis. And so, you ever think about that? I'm going to come to church today and I'm going to be encouraged. What about, I'm going to come to church today, I'm going to encourage someone. It'd be great if you came with this minister mindset. I'm, I mean, who can I pray for after the service? Who can I care for? Give an encouraging word or something. But why do you need to do this? We need to exhort one another because there is a day approaching. And like I said, sometimes it's difficult to have this book of life activate life in us. And that's why we need each other, not just the preacher exhorting, but one another's helping us as the day approaches, so that we can stay on track. We are life people. This is a life organization, and we're life partners. We're doing life together, they say, and we want to encourage one another. How are you doing on this thing? Did you get a revelation this week? I got this. What's the Lord showing you? This is this is help, This is is what brings encouragement in life and peace. To be, it's being spiritually minded, too. And he says, give attention to doctrine, which is basically talking about the teaching from from the scriptures. And a lot of people in the church, you don't have to be a pastor or an elder to pay attention to doctrine. Everybody should have understanding of doctrine. In Hebrews 5.12 um, says, For though by this time you ought to be teachers, you need someone to teach you again the first principles of the oracles of God and have come to need milk and not solid food. Can you hear the frustration in that verse? He's saying, you should be teachers by this time, and you're still on milk and stuff. What he's saying is that it's not just the teachers that are communicating doctrine, but we all should be expressing the doctrine of heaven, the doctrine of the kingdom, the doctrine of the love of God, of who Jesus is, that he died for our sins, that he rose again, that there is a judgment these things should be reflected in our lives and as disciples we should be making progress we should not just be stuck on the milk we should be going into solid food we should be growing and again this is a this, it, it's i can tell why he would be frustrated because it's typically the mindset of most people in the church general it's people have stayed put It's like, it's like uh, stunted growth, (laughs) all right, you know, you don't, if you don't eat the right foods and you're growing up you're not getting what you need, it stunts your growth. And spiritually speaking, there are a lot of people with stunted growth because they have not given attention to these things, they have not taken heed to themselves and the doctrine, they have not uh, given entirely to them, and it's, it's okay. It's not to to give you any kind of condemn. I don't want people to think, oh, he's condemning me now and all this. It's not condemnation. It's it's trying to be what I'm trying to sound like today is like a coach saying, Come on. You remember Rocky's like, what are you doing? My, my my grandmother could do better than that. You know, he's oh don't be mean, don't be mean. No, it's you need a coach to, to spur you on, to exhort, and that's what one another's. We can be that to each other. We're not trying to be mean, or there's no condemnation in Christ, but I'm saying Don't settle for less. Let's go where the life is, and let's build ourselves up and win others. Let's be about the business of the kingdom and rejoice when the Lord returns that we might hear, well done, good and faithful servant. In uh, verse 16 then, he says, Take heed to yourself and to the doctrine. Continue in them, for in doing this you will save both yourself and those who hear you. It's like he uh, Paul told Timothy continue in these things and you will save both yourself and those who hear you. He's basically saying here's the success if you want to know how to succeed. You ever click on one of those ads? Here's how to succeed. Here's how to build your retirement up to 500k whatever. You know, here's the map. Just follow this plan of success. Well, Paul is giving a method of success, a plan of success. For the saving of yourself. Well, I thought I was saved. Jesus saved me. Yes, you are saved. It's done. But you, there's a working out of your salvation. There's always in these things a past, present, and future. We were saved. Heaven's a done deal. Yet heaven's coming in the future. And right now, in the present, we're working it out. We are working out that salvation. And the word of God is what produces the fruit of that. Okay, you said. that. You've given me good reason why I should give myself attention to reading and studying the Word. But how? How do I do it? How do, you, how do you really get more from the Word? Well, I'm glad you asked. Let's talk about that. The first step is to know, like I said before, that this is not an ordinary book. How many people have this book on their shelves and they never pull it down or on the table and it's collecting dust and things like that? I heard a story once. Somebody said that... Uh, They had had a glass of water. They went to visit someone. They had a glass of water. And there was a family Bible on the uh, table next to him. And he had to put his water down. He set it on top of the family Bible. And they got all upset at him because he set the water down on the family Bible. He's like, oh, what was I thinking? I'm sorry. But then he took his water back and he noticed a clear ring. I mean, he had made a mark in all the dust that was on that Bible. And he's like, why are you getting mad at me about this? You don't even use the thing. So... why don't people use this? Again, they don't know that this is not an ordinary book. This is a divine thing that has been given to us, a supernatural... This book is a miracle, really. Let's, uh, in 2 Timothy 3:16 to 17 you're familiar with this verse probably. It says, "...all scripture is given by inspiration of God and is profitable for doctrine, for reproof, for correction, for instruction, for righteousness, that the man of God may be perfect." Thoroughly finished, furnished unto all good works. He's saying, This is all, this is all you need, this is all it's going to get you through. But by inspiration of God, the meaning behind that is God breathed. This is not a book written by humans alone. Yes, humans were used, but it was God breathed, God inspired. It's not the product of our minds or of man. Um, God breathed into 40 different authors. There are 40 different authors of the Bible that wrote by the inspiration of God. There are 66 books in the Bible, okay? And of 66 books and 40 different authors, these authors coming from different times, different geographies, different cultures, different uh, place, different mindsets, yet they all are in agreement in a unified theme of redemption. They are all in harmony through the different books. This is a miracle. You can't get two or three people in a room together who are in harmony and agreement on things of weighty importance and controversial nature, right? But to get 40 of them in different languages even, all these things coming together, that's amazing. That is miraculous to me. But what makes it even more miraculous is that this book is different from any other religious book in that it is filled with prophecies. Prophecies make the difference. Right? Prophecies. What's prophecy? Prophecy is when you say something and you declare something and it becomes fulfilled or it's going to be fulfilled. And it's something that you could not have guessed or thought of. And no other religious book, the the Muslim's Quran has no prophecies. The the Hindu stuff has no prophecies. I don't know of any other religious book that has prophecies. And if they do, I doubt they do, but uh, they don't have 18... 117 of them, some scholar counted 1817 prophecies in the Bible and more than half of them have been fulfilled and, and uh, over half of the prophecies referring to Jesus, I'm sorry, there are 300 prophecies that refer to Jesus and they are all fulfilled in Jesus. This is an amazing thing. The Bible's not just a book of teachings. It's a record. It's a record of God's dealing with man. And through that dealing with man, there are instructions and there are things that we learn, doctrine. There is teaching in it. But primarily, this is a record, an account of mankind and God's dealing with with him. And no other book is, is like this. No other book has survived the burnings, the bannings. The, they have tried to put the fire out of the word of God. People have gone to their deaths to get this book to us and to get it translated to us. It has not been stopped. They have tried to put this book out from the beginning, and it just hasn't been stopped. And in places like China, where I even work, where they tried to keep it all out of the way, it just flourished underground. It just, you can't put out the fire of the Bible. It's not an ordinary book. In fact, it is referred to as a fire in the book of Jeremiah. It's referred to as a hammer. It's referred to as a sword. But one more thing about how interesting this supernatural book is. You say, why, how can we trust it? You know, we don't have the original writings of it. Ancient books like the Bible are trusted because of the copies that were written by scribes. Okay, this is really interesting, so don't be afraid of the academic stuff here, try to tune in. Give attention, because this is really, I think, neat. The ancient documents, we don't have the original autographs, but we don't have the original, the autographs being the original written documents these were written on. We don't have them for Plato or Confucius or for Homer, the Iliad, or any ancient book is going to come to us through copies, manuscript copies, in which, Scribes have copied them and passed them on. They were copied, passed on over the years, and they've been dispersed. And so you compare these copies to see if it is faithful to the message. Okay, are you with me? All right, so I want to just tell you a few ancient manuscripts and the copies they have. For example, Confucius. No one questions the writings of Confucius And there are only, from what I've learned, 30 copies, 30 manuscript copies that have circulated. And the earliest copy was 1,200 years from the original. Okay? 30 copies, 1,200 years. Let's go to Plato. Plato's doing a little bit better. He has 210 copies circulating. And the earliest copy is 1,200 years later from Plato. All right? Homer is really doing good. Has 1,757 copies, and the timing is really good. 400 years from the time of Homer. See, that's pretty early. 400 years, to the time of Homer. Now let's talk about the Bible. How many copies? 25,000. And the earliest copies are 100 years from the time. The Bible, as far as I've seen, and there's a lot, of, there's a, a great list of ancient books, but the Bible is heads above all the other ancient manuscripts, and it is trustworthy because in all of the study and science of these copies, they've looked through thousands of copies. And the only discrepancies, there's going to be discrepancies. there's How do you know we can trust it, all this stuff? There's going to be discrepancies. The only discrepancies that have been found are grammatical or maybe the changing of a word here or there or a phrasing of something. But the important doctrines, the main themes, none of that has differed. None of that is contrary through 25,000 different copies that they have studied. That's a miracle to me. That means when you open this book, you ought to be like Moses at the burning bush. Remember in Exodus chapter 3, Moses heard his name, Moses, Moses, and he saw this bush that was on fire, but it was not being consumed. And he says, I will turn aside and see what this great sight is. And that's how we should approach this book. There's something very... Very, very peculiar about this. And, and we ought to turn aside. That's giving attention say, I'm not coming to a normal, ordinary book. I'm coming to something that's very interesting. And then when he came to that bush, what did the Lord say to him? Moses, take off your shoes, for this is holy ground. And the same thing when he comes to the word. Take off your shoes. It's holy ground. Now, you can read the Bible with your shoes on, okay? But I'm talking about in your heart. In your heart, you'd say, I will turn aside. I'm going to look at this. I'm going to see what this is about. And and this is holy ground, so, you know, in a spiritual way, you take off your shoes, and you're ready to hear from the Lord. And then you, you pray the prayer of Psalm 119.18 or something like it, in which David said, Open my eyes that I may behold wonderful things in your law. Open my eyes that I may behold wonderful things in your word. Lord, let the spirit of truth guide me into all truth. Lord, I'm not before an ordinary bush right now. I'm before a supernatural thing, the fire in the bush. And I want the fire of the word to light me up. I can't get that except you, Lord, open my eyes to see things and to understand the truth and to get these things from your word. Alright, so in 1 Timothy again, Paul said to to, uh, Timothy to meditate on these things. And here's how we can get more from the Bible through meditation. First, you pray. Open my eyes, Lord. Next, you have a purpose. You pray with a purpose. I'm not skipping around. I'm not playing Bible roulette. I'm not going to say, hmm, I need a good word today here. Oh, there's one. Get on track. Get on a plan. A purpose means you have a plan. You read a section today. You continue on tomorrow. For example, I'm in the book of 1 John myself right now. In the morning, I will read a chapter of 1 John or I will read half a chapter. I don't recommend reading fast through it. I say take a little bit. Get ready because you're on holy ground. Ask the Lord to show me something. And then... If I have a little bit of it, that's that's not as overwhelming to meditate on. And what do I mean when I say meditate on? Well, I told you have a purpose, pray. You want another P word? Pontificate. <laughs> think, think. I know it's hard. We have to think now. Some people are saying, "What? Think?" You know, you know I have to think. We have AI now. AI can think for us. <laughs> We're gonna have to do something, folks. And it's good, because remember, to be spiritually minded is life and peace. So get out the old uh, WD-40 on the thinking gears and start meditating. So I say, I take a little bit, and when it says meditate in uh, First Timothy the, in 15, it says uh, the Greek word is melita, which means revolve in the mind. It also means attend to. Some of the translations in Scripture says practice these things. So... You revolve something in your mind. You are, you are thinking on things. You're not just reading a scripture and saying, oh, yeah, th- here we are. We're, we're loved by God. Okay, here. Oh, and this is what happened to David. Okay, here. No, you're taking it very slowly. You're, you're waiting on the Lord to think, and you're, you're revolving it in your mind. Now, how can I revolve it in my mind? Am I just, uh, you know, some people think, am I saying a mantra over and over and over? No, but, you know, that might. God loves me. This word says God loves me. I can keep that going. But there are different ways you revolve things in your mind. You can ask questions. You ask questions about the passage. What does this passage mean, Lord? What does it mean when he talks about this? And, and uh what is it saying to me about God? What is it saying to me? What does this teach me about myself? What does it teach me about what I need to do or what I need to change? Was this teach me about God's relationship to me? Was it teach me about this, the background of this book? These are questions you can ask. Then you make connections. There are connections that, well, I've seen this, this talked about here. Where else does it talk about this in the Bible? I remember reading an, a story about the fig tree in the Bible. Jesus cursed the fig tree. But that's in two Gospels. It's in Matthew and it's in Mark. Uh, I think it's, it might be Luke have to go back and look that up. But it's in two different places. That's what I would do. I'd I'd say, well, I've just read this today. Now I want to read it in the other passage. Why would I want to do that? I'm revolving it in my mind and I'm going to get a different perspective on it from here. And it might not be that there's the same thing that you look at. You can make connections through different words. Like, like, uh, I'm going to look at something real quick here. The crown of righteousness. We read Paul talking about the crown of righteousness in another place. It talks about the crown of life. I can make a connection. That, that same word crown is used one place it says righteousness, one place it says life. And I'm just thinking about how righteousness is life. And you make these connections, and you're seeing things come together. And it's, it's fun. It's almost like you're, you're discovering things when you do this. And you revolve things in your mind by considering the context, the context of the passage. And the thing I like to do is put myself in the passage. You know, Paul is writing to Timothy. How would I have felt if I was Paul writing to Timothy? What was uh, What was going on in my, my circumstances? How would Timothy have felt when he was reading what Paul was saying? How did David feel when he was running to the battle? You know, you just take a moment and put yourself in the situation. Jesus healed the blind man. What would it, What must it have been like to be that blind man? And all of a sudden see, and then you see the face of Jesus. You put yourself in the passage. You're putting these things in your mind. This is meditation, and and you're considering the context. You're putting yourself in the context, but also you consider the context of the book you're reading. You know, not just pulling a scripture here and there, but saying how does this work with the previous passage I read? Because often they're connected. One of the things that gets me angry is that some of these headings in scripture they they disrupt the flow of the context. You know, when you see a heading in scripture, those are inserted by non-inspired editors, okay? And sometimes you have to just disregard the headings. Sometimes they're useful. If you want to if you want to look up the parable of the lost son, and it's easy to find because there's a heading that says the parable of the lost son. But those are rare and few. Most of the headings, in my Bible anyway, are pretty useful. They're breaking things up, and that's good, and that can help you get a shorter passage of scripture to meditate on. But you want to make sure that that heading isn't interrupting a previous thought because often they're connected. And even sometimes the chapters, there's different chapter break, but they're connected. You keep going a little bit. So, all right, thanks for telling me all that. Well, what good is it? I don't know how to do that. Let's just look. I'm going to finish up real quick here. Let's just practice it together for a second. Let's look at 2 Timothy 4, verse 6 to 8. All right, in 2 Timothy 4, 6-8, it says, I am already being poured out as a drink offering, and the time of my departure is at hand. Okay, I would read through, like I usually do before preaching, I'd read through each of these verses, and then I'd go back and start at the first verse again. I am already being poured out as a drink offering. And Now just stop and think about that. What, what is he talking about there? He's talking about his, he's given everything. And, you know, I would start to think about my departure. He's talking about his departure. He doesn't seem very troubled. I just start thinking about how Paul gave himself so much. He, he likens it to a drink offering. And just thinking about what I've been talking about, the progress, he says, I fought the good fight. And I'd say, I'm fighting a fight. I'm not alone in the battle. And, and the Lord, it's not strange that we're going through battles. And just thinking a good fight, and I start looking at that word good, just honing in on good. It's a good fight. What's a good fight? I could think a good fight. What is a good fight? There's lots of things you could think. A good fight's a fight you, uh, you win, right? That's a good fight when you win. It's a good fight when you're fighting for the right things. It encourages me if I stay on that for a little while, saying Paul fought the good fight. He's gone before me. Maybe that gives me some encouragement. I have finished the race. I would start to think about my race. Am I going to finish the race? You can turn it into prayer. Meditation comes, leads into prayer. Lord, help me to finish the race. Help me to fight the good fight, and uh, and just strengthen me for these things. Meditation can turn into prayer. And then it says, finally, there's laid up for me the crown of righteousness. The crown of righteousness. That is a, a, a royal thing, a crown. I, what do I think of when I think of a crown? You know, j- that we're revolving things in our head. I think of a king when I think of a crown, or a queen when I think of a crown. I think of royalty. And it's saying that there is laid up for me uh, a crown of righteousness. And, and I, w- I would look at that and say, well, that's good for you, Paul. You are royalty. But then the next verse says, it's also to all who have loved his appearing. So I can, I can take that and say, that's for me too. The crown of righteousness is coming. And I talked about connections. Most of your Bibles will have in the center some references or they'll be on the sides. And I noticed when it said crown of righteousness, there's a little, little reference mark there. So I looked at the reference mark and I said it said James 1.12. So I said, what's, what's the reference to that? So I looked at James 1.12 and there it talks about the crown of life. And so I like to do that. That's a good way to make connections. You look and see what the references are pointing to. And sometimes that's how you're going to learn your Bible. You're going to say this is here and this is here and it's all together. And you see, well, James, in James it talks about the crown of life. And you make that connection, crown of righteousness, crown of life. Which the Lord, the righteous judge, and I can stop there and say he's holy, he's a judge. I'm going to have to stand before him That could start to get me a little anxious, but then I can just turn it and say, look what Jesus did. He gave me the ability to stand before the judge, and he will give to me on that day, and not to me only, but also to all who have loved his appearing. Have I loved his appearing? You you ask questions. What about me? Have I loved his appearing? I haven't thought much about his appearing lately. Hmm, I'm I'm gonna make a point to start thinking more about his appearing. This is how we feed ourselves with the word. You can read through these verses, zip by them, and say, "Yeah, that's good," and get a little bit of understanding. But when you take them and you start to revolve them and start feeding yourself them, you start to you're you're giving yourself a, entirely to them. You're you're giving attention to them, and it's going to make progress in your life. And that progress is going to be evident because you're going to be a changed person. In this case, you're going to be changed if you're looking to His appearing. It's going to affect what you're interested in, what you're involved with, and things. I'm I'm interested in His appearing. I know I'm going to be given a crown of righteousness, and I don't want to tarnish that. I don't want to mess that up. It's going to fuel me. So this is what we do. And then this morning, I guess I say I read in uh, 1 John 3, verse 1, how great is the love of God that he has bestowed on us that we should be called the children of God. How great is the love of God that he has bestowed on us. It says, behold. That word, behold, means attention, please. Behold. You know, we just behold how great is the love. No, behold. Stop for a second. Think about it. How great is the love? And I'm like, I just got to think about that for a second. How great is the love? And maybe I can't come up with any thoughts. So there's where I'll meditate and I'll just sit, keep talking. The love is so great. And I'll just repeat it. The love is so great. I'm meditating love. And then eventually I keep revolving that in my mind. And it warms my heart. And suddenly I'm into this place of feeling thankful, loving God and wanting to worship him. That's the power of the word. This is the way the word works, how the Holy Spirit can come in. Most of the time, we throw the wood on the on the, the table, but then we douse it immediately with something, some other thought. We don't stay there. We don't allow the Holy Spirit time to ignite the fire. And that's what we want. And again, why? Because it's who we are. It's because Jesus is the word of God. He has... A destiny for us and we want life we want his life we want the power of God and there's nothing more exciting more fulfilling more significant than the power of God working in your life and most of the church will miss it because we've settled halfway because of grace I'm saying don't feel condemned if that's you I'm saying come on Rocky let's go what are, you, what are you messing around with? There is great, there's a championship to be had. And that's going to that's change the world. It changes you. You become unstoppable in whatever environment you're in. You become rooted and grounded in love and you have the life and peace of a spiritually-minded walk with Jesus. That's a good deal. But you can't get anywhere without the word working in your life consistently like your, your daily bread. Give us this day our daily bread. Why did he say that? I think he was talking about more than just a loaf of bread. Amen?